that Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is where I'll, uh, I'll be reading out of. It's in the New Testament. Again, you can follow along with me if you want in a Bible. We have extras. You have your own. Uh, but if you want to just listen, uh, by all means, you can do that as well. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll be starting. Uh, if you're there, just say amen. Because I'm not. I got to get there as well. I always tell people where to turn and I don't turn there myself. Uh, oh, that's hot. Uh, Ephesians 4. Uh, okay. You probably heard the expression, but there is a very good reason that many years ago an American advertiser said a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, when you want to remember somebody you can't see, you, you look at a picture and you kind of just get stirred up about who they were and what they meant to you. When you want to understand something abstract, something you can't, like, touch, you turn to an illustration to help you see what that thing is. And the Bible, God's Word, it's, it's full of pictures. It's full of things we call types or, or symbols. They're, it's full of things that we can see to help us understand truth that we can't see. And the Bible's not as hard to understand as you think it is. If you just follow the pictures, you start to see what God's trying to say. And the water baptism that you're going to see today, what's going to happen in a little while, is actually a picture. It's to help us understand some spiritual truths that we can't see, touch, taste, smell, or hear. They're abstract. And... Um, I can't, for example, I can't see love right now. Can't see it, touch it, taste it, feel it, smell it. But you know what? If I see a heart, right, if I see a physical object, that physical shape, you know what that physical heart, that physical object, that physical shape does? It reminds me of love. So I see a heart, I think, oh, love, yes, 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 love. I see a heart, I think of love. I see something physical, and it reminds me of the spiritual abstract thing that it represents. And the same is true of baptism. I can't see what God did to you when you got saved. If you are saved, can you just say amen for me right now? Okay. That doesn't mean you're part of the club. It just means you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and the payment for your sins. Now, something miraculous happened when you called on Jesus Christ to save your soul. But you know what? I can't see it. I can't touch it. I can't smell it. I can't hear it. I can't taste it. But I can look at baptism and understand. I get a picture. I get a symbol. Now let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 4. And the Bible says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He says right there, there's one baptism. Now, hold on just a second. The baptism he's talking about there is something spiritual. You see, when you got saved, a spiritual baptism took place when you called on Jesus Christ. And that's the one baptism that's real. That's the one baptism that lasts forever. That's the one baptism that changed your state in the sight of God. That's the baptism he's talking about there. That's not the baptism we're doing this afternoon. 
We're going to put some people in water. This baptism puts some people in Jesus Christ. That baptism will get some people wet. This baptism he's talking about here gets some people saved. It's the one baptism. But you know what? I can't see it. I can't touch it. I can't taste it. I can't hear it. I can't smell it. I can't see your spiritual baptism. So you know what God did? Because he wants us to understand. God gave us today's water baptism as a picture, as a symbol, as a representation of the real thing that happened when you trusted Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do today, because we like to teach the Bible here, I do get excited about it, those of you who know me, but I'm going to try to explain things to you so we walk out with a better understanding of what baptism is all about, and I'd like to consider the picture of water baptism. Why? So we can understand the real baptism it represents. So we're going to talk about the picture of water baptism. Let's, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Okay, pardon the pun. All right. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for giving us this Bible, Lord. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for giving us these pictures, Lord, that we might understand who you are and what you're doing and what we can't see. Lord, I pray only by the power of your Spirit, Lord, you might illuminate our eyes that we might see what this symbol means, Lord, and see the truth behind it. Give us understanding, dear God. And if someone is here that doesn't know you as Savior, may it compel them and and persuade them to want to trust Jesus Christ as the payment of their sins. We pray this now, Lord, for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to go to the book of Romans, which is to the left a little bit. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. All right? I'm going to show you how the picture of baptism is a lot like what happened to you when you got saved and also very different, right? First thing I want to say is this. Today's water baptism, that's what's going to happen outside in that pool. Today's water baptism is physical. But our real baptism is spiritual. Let me say that again. Today's water baptism is physical in a physical pool with physical water. But our real baptism, the one God did to you when you got saved, is spiritual. Now, I got, got some bus drivers in here, so I, you know, I don't want to stir up anything here. But, you know, if like the song goes, if life is a highway, then everybody in this room is riding in one of two buses with one of two drivers. Everybody in here. I don't care if you never come to church, if you come here all the time, everybody in the world is riding on the highway called life in one of two buses. The first driver is Adam. (laughs) And you got on his bus when you were born. You didn't have to do anything. You just came out screaming and you were on the bus, right? You were born and you were born in Adam in a physical body, in a physical world. And you, Adam is your bus driver. You're on Adam's bus. If you were born, say amen. amen. All right. So everybody, if you, if, you, if you couldn't say amen, we'll speak to you later. Maybe something happened. I don't know. But if you were born today, you were born into Adam and you're riding on life on Adam's bus. But the second driver, his name is Jesus Christ. And you get on his bus when you are born again. You see, everybody gets born and they get on Adam's bus. But when you get born again, you don't join a club or start a different religion. You just get on Jesus Christ's bus. You get in Christ and you're riding down life now in a different bus. 
And these two different buses with two different drivers have two very different destinations. Romans chapter 5 tells us about Adam's bus. The first bus that Adam's driving is headed for death. It's headed for hell because of Adam's sin. I want you to read Romans 5, verse 12. I'm going to read it. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man, he's talking about Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That bus that Adam's driving, that we're all born into, does not have a great destination. It ends with a grave. And it ends with a punishment for sin called hell. That's a bad bus. That It might be a smooth ride sometimes. And sometimes I know it gets bumpy. But you always get on a bus considering the destination, right? You don't get on the bus for the chairs, the air conditioning, or you know the ambiance. You get on a bus because it's going to take you to a particular destination. And your first birth is going to take us to a hole in the ground. The first birth takes us to judgment. That is not a bus you want to stay on for very long. Let me tell you about the second bus. Look at verse 19. Romans 5, 19, right down the page says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. He's talking about Adam and Adam's bus. He says, so by the obedience of one, now he's talking about Jesus Christ, the one who never sinned, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Oh, that sounds like a bus I want to get on because the first bus is headed for death and hell because of sin and Adam's transgression. And the second bus, the one that Jesus Christ is driving, is headed for life. It's headed for heaven. Why? Because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. You see, the first driver, Adam, he messed everybody up. Everybody born on his bus is headed towards a collision course with God's judgment. But Jesus Christ came to fix what Adam messed up. And if you get on his bus, you're not headed for judgment. You're headed for forgiveness. You're headed for life. You're headed for heaven. You got to get on the right bus. Go to Genesis chapter 5. Wait, this should be easy. Genesis 5. It's the first book of the Bible. If you can find one, you can find this one. Now listen, when you ride the bus, I don't mean like the local bus, but you ride a bus a long distance, like a Greyhound bus that you're taking out of state or something like that. When you ride the bus, there is a manifest of the passengers, right? There's a record of who's in that vehicle. And you know, everybody who's on Adam's bus is recorded, And everybody who's on Jesus Christ's bus is recorded. Let me show you the manifest of Adam's bus and what happens to everybody who's still in Adam. Ready? Here's Genesis 5. Look at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, may he him. So God's going to tell us everybody that came after Adam. And look what happened to Adam in verse 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Look at verse 8. Seth, see at the end of verse 8, he died. See verse 11, Enos, he died. See verse number uh, 
14, Canaan, he died. And you can run the whole chapter except for one guy. Everybody in Adam's bus is on record. Everybody on Adam's bus that came after Adam is written down. And you know what's the sad state of the affairs of everybody on Adam's bus? Is every name that's in that chapter, they all died. Every name of every person in that chapter, except for Enoch, but that's another story. They all died like Adam. Adam died in verse 5, and all of his progeny, all the people that came after him, died. They faced the wages of sin, which is death. And guess what? Your grandparents, my grandparents, your parents, you, it all trickled down. You and I are all riding on that bus headed by Adam from the day we were born until the day we die. And 10 out of 10 people die for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Adam's sin got you on the bus. Your sin keeps you on the bus and heads you on a collision course with God's judgment. But can you go to Matthew chapter 1, which is the first? It's the first book in the New Testament. That's pretty bad news. But let's look at Matthew chapter 1. Let me show you the manifest of the other passengers on Jesus Christ's bus. Matthew chapter 1. You're going to see how different it is right now, how, how radically different it is than Adam's bus. Adam's bus, man, it might be air-conditioned and they might serve peanuts or something, but that thing is headed for a bad way. But Jesus Christ's bus, whoo! That's got a smooth destination, man. I, I want to be on Jesus Christ's bus. Matthew 1, verse 1, the first book, the first verse of your New Testament. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now watch this. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat this one, and this one begat that one, and everybody in Jesus Christ's bus is also recorded. All those names are listed, but you want to see a big, big difference? Everyone in Jesus Christ's bus is given life. Nobody dies in that list. It doesn't mention anybody dying in the list that's in Jesus Christ's book. It mentions everybody dying in the list in Adam's book. It says begat, begat, begat. You know what happens when you get begat? It means you're given life. Something is born. The question is, brethren, which bus are you on? Adam is on one bus and everybody on Adam's bus dies like Adam because of sin. But everybody on Jesus Christ's bus lives because of life in Jesus Christ. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to the right a little bit. I'm going to challenge you today, which bus are you on? Which vehicle are you in? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is in your New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15. You know what salvation is? You know, Christians throw around these words like salvation, propitiation, redemption. They're big Bible words. But can I just boil it down for you? Salvation, getting to heaven, having your sins forgiven, being made right with God, getting your sins paid for, never going to hell. You know what salvation is, if I could boil it down for you? It's getting out of Adam and getting in Jesus Christ. Somehow God has got to get you off that bus and get you on Jesus Christ's bus. Because 1 Corinthians 15 verse 21 says, For since by man came death, Adam brought this dreck into the world, 
By man came also the resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ was going to defeat it. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The question is, dear friend, are you in the right bus? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And if you're not sure, it's a pretty good indication that you're still in Adam because that's the default. You were born in Adam and you must be born again to get into Jesus Christ. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Are you in Christ or are you still in Adam? I just want you to think about it. Don't answer out loud, but just, just think about it. Now, go to chapter 12 of the same book, and let me show you what God did. So somebody tells you, get off the bus, get out of Adam, get saved. You must be born again. Jesus died for your sins. Would you receive him as your savior? Would you trust him as the payment for your sins? It's not religion. No, no, religion is like putting on a new pair of pants, right? You got to change them the next day. Now that's not, we're not talking about religion here. We're talking about God made you, you sinned against him and God's going to judge you for it. You could take the judgment yourself or you could take the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how you get off the bus. So at some point in your life, maybe it's right now, somebody presents the gospel to you and you say, huh, I want to get off Adam's bus and get on Jesus Christ's bus because I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to go to heaven and be saved. Here's what God does when that happens. First Corinthians 12 verse 13, the Bible says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Can I tell you when you get saved and if you're saved, can I just hear one more? Amen. Right. When you get saved, God takes you out of Adam and puts you or baptizes you into Jesus Christ. He takes you off Adam's bus and puts you in Jesus Christ's bus because all baptism means is immersion. That's what the word means. You could be baptized in, you know, my kids went to a birthday party one time and they jumped into a pool full of like foam. They got baptized in foam. You could baptize something in fire. You could baptize something in a bucket full of Lysol if you got to clean it. It just means baptism that you're going to be put into something that you weren't in before. You're going to be immersed, submerged, and put into something you weren't in before. And spiritually, when you got saved, God took you out of Adam and put you into the body of Christ and saved your soul. He did that without you seeing it. The picture today just gives us a little representation of it. See, today, we're going to baptize or immerse some believers in water. That's physical. The water is physical, and it's going to be done by me. I'm physical. I'm going to put them down. I'm going to bring them right back up. Don't worry. All right, Blanca, don't get nervous, Blanca. Sometimes we like to play wait for the bubbles. No, no, we don't do that. No, we put them down. We take them back up. I'm going to immerse somebody in water as a symbol. It's physical. But man, when you got saved, God baptizes you into Christ. That's spiritual. You see what it says in verse 13? It's the Holy Spirit of God that does that. Not me and not you, not anybody else with a, with a tie around his neck. 
God himself, his spirit, comes in and moves you from the lost column to the saved column, from Adam's bus to Jesus Christ's bus, from the lost column to the prophet column. That's what God does without anybody seeing it. And the picture today just lets us be reminded of what happened that you couldn't see. See, the picture of water baptism reminds me and helps me understand what I can't see, that I'm in Christ. Woo, that's what I need to, I'm, and you know what? You need to be reminded. Even though you may not be getting baptized today, we had some folks get baptized last year. Maybe you got baptized a long time ago. You know what today is about? It's about reminding you that you are in Christ, that God took you out of Adam and put you into the body of Christ when you got saved. That's what the illustration and the picture is all about. Now go to chapter 15. Same book again. Go to chapter 15 again. This baptism today isn't going to save anybody. I wish it could. If the water out there could save people, I'd get me a fire truck and I'd be driving all over Jersey just spraying people, right? It'd be real easy. We wouldn't have to go on the corner and preach. We'd just get ourselves a truck. We'd just put the pressure up real good and we'd just go up and blast people and whether they liked it or not, we'd wash their sins away. I wish I could do that. But that's not the gospel. You got saved today by believing the gospel, the good news that you must believe that saves your soul. What is it? Well, it's right here in the Bible, very simple for you to see. Chapter 15, verse 1. He says, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. (laughs) See, it's the gospel that saves you. Keep reading. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now he's going to open the doors and tell you what that good news is. And you feel free to say amen whenever you want. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the good news that we preach. That is the good news that when you believe, it saves your soul. That Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins, was buried to put your sins away, and rose again to let everybody know your sins have been paid for. And when you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did and say, God, that's enough for me. If it was enough for you, that's enough for me. I'll take the payment you made as the payment for my sin. God says that's when you are saved. When God takes the payment he did through Jesus Christ and applies it to your account and to your debt and to your sin. That's the good news. Did you notice, please, that it said nothing about baptism in there? It wasn't even in the chapter. Is it even anywhere in the vicinity? Listen, if I needed water baptism to save my soul, what do I do if I'm an astronaut on the space shuttle? I know you say, Pat, that's ridiculous. But think about that. Let's just say I'm up there, and they're like, we can't re-enter, we can't get down, the thing is busted, it's like Apollo 13 or 11, whatever number it was, they got mad, you know, I can't get back, we're in trouble, oh man, I gotta get right with God, I'm looking at the comets, I'm looking at the stars, there's a big God out here, I've sinned against him, I need to get saved, oh man, oh no, you need to get in the pool, I got no pool, I got freeze-dried peanut butter and a cracker, what do I got, what do I got, I got nothing, I'd be lost if it was baptism. I had a guy many years say, you got to get in a pool to get saved. I said, but what if I'm an astronaut? And he went, oh, well, 
you know, God could do whatever he wants to do then. No, God's not like that. God's precise. You, if it was water, I'm stuck if I'm in the Sahara somewhere. I'm stuck if I'm in a space shuttle somewhere. If it's water, that's going to wash my sins away. Listen, if I had to get wet to be forgiven, what do I do if I'm a thief dying on a cross? Jesus Christ dies next to this guy on the cross. He was literally and figuratively stuck. He sees Jesus Christ. He says, Lord, remember me. And Jesus says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He couldn't get down and get to church. He couldn't get down and get baptized. He couldn't get down. He couldn't do anything but exercise faith in a dying Savior who was going to rise again in three days. Is that what you trusted? Is that what you believe? That's the good news. We went out yesterday. See, I'm getting, ex- I'm getting excited. I'm going to stay calm and for our, uh, for our guests. No. You know, we went out yesterday. We had about five of us out there on the corner of 34 and Lloyd, and we were preaching the gospel. We weren't even mentioning our church. We were just saying Christ died for our sins. Come to Jesus Christ. I know it's hard sometimes to get outside the matrix of like religion that it's always like, what box are you checking? What are you trying to sell me? I'm not trying to sell you anything. You never walk in here again. That's between you and God. I don't care about that at all. I don't even know who's here or who's not here. I can barely see 50 feet in front of me. You know what I'm concerned with? Is Jesus Christ your savior? Are your sins forgiven? Are you believing the gospel? Go to chapter one of this same book. I'm going to show you that the Bible makes it so clear that water baptism is not the gospel, is not the good news, it is not what saves you. Let me show you from the testimony of a great Christian named Paul. Now, Paul went to this town called Corinth, and he baptized some people. But he says in verse 14 of chapter 1, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. He says, you know what, guys? I'm glad I didn't baptize a lot of you guys because you're making too big of a deal of baptism. You're getting too into the fact that, oh, Paul put me under the water or Apollos put me under the water or Cephas put me under the water. You guys are making too big of a deal of it. He says, he keeps going, lest any should say I had baptized in my own name. You're going to think I'm creating my little club, right? Like I'm part of the Paul cult. You want to join the Paul cult. He says, I'm not starting a Paul cult. He says, and I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. He goes, yeah, I baptized some people, this guy, that guy, a few other people. I can't even remember all the people I baptized because it's not the biggest deal. You see what he says in verse 17? This is like a highlighting verse. He says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. He's saying, listen, I'm not here to baptize. I'm here to preach the gospel, which means, here's a brilliant deduction, baptism is not the gospel. The gospel is what saves you when you believe it. If baptism is not it, then baptism can't save a rubber ducky, right? It's not going to happen. It can't do anything to save you. The water today is just a picture. It's a reminder. It's a symbol. It's not the real thing. Listen, folks, putting your faith in that water to wash away your sins is only going to leave you figuratively and literally all wet. He's just going to leave you all wet. But you see verse number 18, putting your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross gives you power to be saved. 
See, see uh, Corinthians 1, 118. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Amen. When you trust that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you know something happened. Something happened. I remember, maybe not you, but I remember 24 years ago, I called on Jesus Christ in the private solitude of my room after somebody hung a plastic bag on my door with the gospel in it, and I read it, and I believed it, and I called on Jesus Christ and said, Lord, if I want to be saved, it said, turn to page 19. And I turned to page 19 in that booklet, and I believed what I read. It made logical sense. It finally put together why that guy died on that cross that I looked at on that crucifix in my church all those years back in the day, and I put the Lord put it together for me, and I can't explain it to you, but it's like the circuit breaker of my soul was flipped. And it was like, whoa, something makes sense now that didn't make sense before. I got off the bus called Adam, and I got on the bus called Jesus Christ, and now my destination is different. And baptism is just a picture of the power of of the gospel to save you. Let's go to Hebrews chapter nine. Let me get, how's that sound? That make a little sense for you? All right. Go to Hebrews chapter nine. I'm warming up for teaching. I got to be there 8 a.m. tomorrow. I got ready to go. Sorry, Rachel, but I got to be in there ready to go and I got to get into it here. Get back to teaching. Hebrews nine. Let me show you something else about our water baptism today. So the first thing is today's water baptism is physical, but our real baptism is spiritual. But let me give you number two, all right? The second difference, I guess. Today's water baptism is temporal, but our real spiritual baptism is eternal. Now listen, you might have walked in, the guys were working on the pool, they got here early and they got the pool hooked up. The water we use today in that pool comes out of a hose and evaporates after everything's all over, all right? That's not, a, that's not a profound science. You look like a pious thing just washed over you. Like, wow, that's deep. No, it's not, right? We're going to pull the drain on the pool. It's going to go out into the grass, and the sun's going hit, to hit it, and it's going to go back into the water cycle and do what God made water do, all right? That's what's going to happen to that water. It's temporal. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. But look at Hebrews 9.11. Hebrews 9.11 says, but Christ... Being common high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, watch it now, eternal redemption for us. See, the water we use today is going to be here for a little while and then be gone. But the blood Jesus Christ shed on that cross 2,000 years ago has never lost its power. Amen. Amen. It's, It's still changing lives. It's still saving souls. It's still as strong as it was the day his body was first pierced on Calvary's Hill. Can I tell you, the same blood the apostles were declaring 2,000 years ago is the same blood we're preaching about today. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Can I tell you the same blood that men died to proclaim hundreds of years ago is the same blood men are hated for today? 
You don't read your history books. Christians like us were, put, were burnt at the stake, were put on the rack, had their family fed to hogs, were pierced and pulled apart, were drawn and courted. Why? For believing the same things that Christians believe today. And there's parts of the world you go to right now and buy a one-way ticket, and if you went there and preached what we preached for a week or so, they'd have you locked up in a labor camp or killed before the month is over. That's what's happening in the world today. We saw yesterday. Who's flipping us the bird? Who's yelling something at us? Why? Because we're offering them free salvation by grace in Jesus Christ. Why you would get mad at that is beyond me. Why would you get mad at the fact that somebody's telling you God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But this young little girly girl came by, screamed something at me out of the car, and I smiled and she kept on. That doesn't make sense unless there's something between them and God that they don't like. That's the only reason they would make it bad. But listen, the same blood that men were killed for in the past, men are hated for today. And can I tell you this? The same blood, think about this, the same blood that stained Calvary's hill is the same blood that still makes its indelible mark on lives today. That same blood that dropped down that cross and rolled down that cross 2,000 years ago on a hill far away where that old rugged cross stood is still the same blood that when you believe it, it'll make a mark on your soul that will never be washed away. That is amazing power. You know why that's so amazing? Because there's no expiration date on Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Amen? There's no like good before such and such date. No, it's eternal redemption. That's why he calls it eternal redemption. Because it's endless. It's boundless. It's never ceasing. Oh, the power of that blood that Jesus shed on that cross. That's something to get excited about. I get excited. You know why? If nobody else, it changed my life. He, he saved my life. Not an it. No it saved my life. I had plenty of it's in my life. All right. I was at NYU on a scholarship. All right. I rolled with the nerds. All right. I was going to NYU and all those buildings I walked into and all those monks I spoke to on the street in the village and all those Tony Robbins seminars I went to to try to find out how to be a better me. Can I tell you, none of that stuff changed my life, but a little bag with a little bit of gospel in it alone in my room in April of 1998, when I read it and saw it, it was like God spoke to my soul and he said, this is why I died. And you know what that did? I have never been the same because Jesus Christ and the power of that blood. Can you go to first Peter chapter one? It's to the right just a little bit. Have you heard of Peter? He's a pretty famous guy in the Bible. First Peter, first Peter chapter one. You know what? I was looking for some help, but everybody gave me band-aids. I'll just go to this thing. This, this cult tried to get me to join. Oh, you just join this cult. And they didn't call themselves a cult, of course, but uh, they said, oh, just join up and you'll be okay. Just join up and you'll be okay. And I just said, that doesn't make any sense, man. Let's go to the pastor's house. And the pastor puts his arm around me. He goes, if you join, other people will join. You got to join. I said, I, I'm getting weirded out now, man. Like the hair standing up in my arms. I'm looking for the exit signs. I said, how is that different from the church I'm in now? I just got to join a different one. That doesn't make any sense. And in first Peter one, Peter's writing and he says in verse 18, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things 
as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You know what that great old fisherman Peter is telling us? You can't count on something corruptible to give you something eternal. Something corruptible that's never, that ends in a day or you need to continue for another week or you got to do it another month. That's not going to give you something eternal. And listen, can I, can I just talk and cut a little close to the cotton now? Not to be offensive, but can I just be honest with you? Are you trusting the building you walk into every week to earn you God's forgiveness? Does that make sense? To walk into this building or that building or this building or that building. Listen, we meet in a school, I guess because I'm a teacher. You're stuck being in a school. But it, there's nothing magical about this building. It smells a little bit, I know, but there's nothing you know, magical about it. It's got that school smell, reminds me of home. But there's nothing magical about it. You know what? Sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. And sitting in a building doesn't make you a Christian or not a Christian, right? It's just a building. Listen, listen, listen. Are you trying to pay for your sins with enough good works to outweigh your bad? That doesn't work either, right? Look at Paul. Look at Peter calls those things at the end of verse 18. He calls them traditions. I know those are things that we, we all were taught. We all, we all thought that, right? You know, you just, you got to go to the right church or you got to go to the right organization. You just got to keep doing good. You know what those are? They're traditions. I know we've all been exposed to them. I know we've all been taught them. He says they're traditions from your fathers. They've been perpetuated for a long time, but you know what he calls those traditions? Vain, worthless, because they don't last forever. You have to keep doing them over and over and over again, and you're never sure if you've ever done enough. Listen, I only say this because I love you and I want to help you. If doing religious stuff saves your soul, how do you know if you've done enough? Like, does a bell go off and then just saved, comes across your forehead? Like, when do you know that you've done enough? And, or, or if good works that you do could pay for your sins, how long do you have to keep up the payments? You think about those things? But you see what verse 19 says? He says, those things don't save you. Verse 19 says, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's saying the thing that redeems you, the thing that gets you saved forevermore is the precious blood of Christ. You know why his blood is so precious? Because he only had to die once for all forever. If something only happens once in history with that much power, that makes it pretty precious. That makes it pretty rare. That makes it pretty valuable. That it can never be repeated and never be replicated. That's the only thing we need. It happened once for all forever. You know what Jesus Christ's dying words on the cross were, right? It is finished. That means there's nothing else to add. And the Bible says in 1 John, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That means there's nothing else you need. There's nothing else to add. There's nothing else you need. We sing it sometimes. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus 
What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of... You say, Pat, you're really hammering that home. Yeah. Because I got a fixed do not head. I'm Italian, right? I got to have things drilled into my head. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If the blood of Jesus is the only cure for sin... Can you see why the Bible calls it precious? It's the only thing on planet earth that was ever done that could get you to heaven is what Jesus did on that cross and your faith in his shed blood. If that's the only thing, then it's super, super precious. An old preacher named Charles Spurgeon said, morality may keep you out of jail but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell, right? So, I mean, that's, that's why it's so precious. And those people getting baptized today, listen, they're only going to get wet for a little while. It's only, see, don't be nervous, Don. It's only a little while, right? Just going to get a little, little wet for a little while. You know, it's only temporary. But those who've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ are still as clean as the day they got saved. As washed as the day they got saved. Now, the water from Aberdeen Township, graciously given to us by the spigot, the water from Aberdeen Township, when you get into it today, it may get some schmutz off your skin. Right? You got some, if I put somebody under the water and you didn't get the, the stuff out of your eyes, it may get that out. You got a little gunk on your forearm, and I put you down. It may get some of that out. If you didn't take a shower today, you could double dip, I guess. It'll do some of that. But go to Revelation chapter 1. Can I tell you, the blood of Christ can get the sins off your soul for eternity. The water may get the dirt off your skin for a little while, but the blood of Jesus Christ gets the sins off your soul forever. Revelation chapter 1. This is the last book of the Bible. I'm hurrying right along here. Don't worry. Revelation chapter 1. It says in verse number five, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him, meaning Jesus Christ, that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. His blood is the vehicle and the means by which you wash something beyond your skin, beyond your bone, way down to your soul. Go to chapter 5. Look at verse chapter 5. Go to chapter 5. Now listen. Water is kind of temporary, right? Go to Revelation chapter 5. Water is kind of temporary, right? I mean, your kid spills a little water on his shirt. You know what you're going to say? You're going to say, oh, it's no big deal, honey. It's only water. It'll dry because it's just water. It'll be there for a little bit, and then it's just going to vanish away. But when you read Revelation 5, you see something. Because one of the, and, the, and the moms and the folks that do their own clothes know this. One of the toughest marks to get out of clothes is blood. It may be there forever. And in Revelation chapter 5, if you and I could unzip heaven, the sky right now and see what's going on in heaven, you know what they're singing about? They're singing about the blood. 
They're cheering about the blood. They're thanking God because of the blood that he shed. It's that eternal. It's that precious. It's that long-lasting that somebody that got saved a thousand years ago is still in heaven right now around the throne, rejoicing and praising God, not for the church, not for the preacher, not for the baptism that they went into in the pool. They're going to cheer and praise and say, worthy is the lamb because of the blood he shed. Look at Revelation 5, verse 9. They're still singing about the blood. Revelation 5, 9. It says they sung a new song. (laughs) Even though they've been singing it for years, and even though we'll be singing it for years to come, it's still a new song because the blood of Jesus never gets old. The price he paid never gets old. It's new every morning. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You know why they're still singing about the blood? Because the mark it leaves on your soul is forever. The mark it leaves on your soul is eternal. Now listen. When we baptize in water, you only go under for a moment, right? It's temporal. It's momentary. But when God baptizes you with his Holy Spirit, he puts you in the body of Christ forever. That one is eternal. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll show you. Go to the left a little bit. I just got a few stops left. I'm hurrying here. Ephesians 1. I don't know, I'm just trying to make it clear to all of us. Saved or lost, we got to get this. Ephesians 1. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 7. Ephesians 1, verse 7. The Bible says, In whom we have redemption. Here it is again. It's like God wants us to get this. Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I want to challenge you today. Have you received eternal redemption from God or just temporary remedies from man? Right? A little religion, a little this, a little that, a little whatever, a little self-help, a little pep talk. No, I want to know. You don't have to answer out loud. Have you received eternal redemption from God through the blood? Because when you do, verse 12 shows you something. It shows you in verse 12 and 13 that when you trust God's salvation, you get God's preservation. You get God's seal. I'll show you right now, verse 12. It says, we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. If you've trusted in Christ as the payment for your sins, can I get one more amen? Amen. All right, I'm in the right auditorium. We're getting warmed up here. 13, in whom he also trusted. Paul says, I trusted and we preached to you and you trusted. In whom he also trusted. Notice it doesn't say anything but trusted. You trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth. That's the preaching. The gospel of your salvation. That's him telling them about Christ. In whom also after that ye, what's the next word? Say it louder. Say it louder. Believe. After that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When you trust God's salvation, 
you get God's preservation. When you call on Jesus Christ, he takes you out of Adam's bus and seals you inside Jesus Christ's bus. He says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise that I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. That lo, I am with thee always, even unto the end of the world. That where I am, there ye may be also, right? It's a Holy Spirit of promise. That's unique to the church age. Isaiah didn't have that. Moses didn't have that, but this little sliver called the church age, that's the deal. That, in fact, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this stuff because nobody does stuff like this anymore. Maybe you do. Like canning. When people like would can stuff in like bell jars and do you do can? Do you can? Do you? I don't know. You're, you're smiling. You know, if you're canning and you get your preserves, what it is, and you put in that, that bell jar, you put that seal in it, you know what? They would take that jar and they put that jar inside the canner and they immerse that jar in that boiling water. So the boiling water covers that jar. You know what happens? A seal forms. And that pressure pulls that jar together, pulls that seal together, and makes that thing impenetrable. Why? So nothing can get into that jar and spoil the food that's inside of it. It's sealed. You know what happens when God saves you? The Holy Spirit puts you into Christ and seals you in Christ and seals himself inside of you. Why? So nothing gets in to spoil your soul. That's quite an ingenious plan, God. It seems like ingenious is like even a bad word to use. How about wise? How about glorious? How about amazing? I'm glad I'm saved. Do you? You know, many, many years ago, um, when she was still alive, Danielle's grandmother, Amelia's mom, had to have this surgery done to uh, replace the valves in her heart. And I'll forget that. I think they did it at SI North, right? And they, she had the valves replaced in her heart, believe it or not, with, I think, pig valves, right? Wasn't it? They, and they replaced these valves, amazing stuff they could do with medicine. Thank God for medicine and what God has let people do. But they replaced those valves in her heart with pig valves. Why? To extend her life. So this operation happens. And you know, once the surgeon fixed her inside, you know what happened? He sealed her up. And she'd been given new life until she died many years ago. But she was given that life. the, The surgeon did something inside of her. And once he did that thing inside of her, he closed her up. He had no intention of opening her up and taking those things back. He put them inside there and sealed her up. And that way she had new life for as long as God would give her that new life with that new heart that the surgeon had helped her have. Can you go to chapter 4? Well, here's why I'm saying that. Go to chapter 4. You say, how long is God's seal? Right? Uh, Danielle's grandmother, that, that, those pig valves were good until, you know, God said, your time's up. How long is God's seal good for? How long are you sealed in the body of Christ for? Well, Ephesians 4.30 says... And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. God says, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you. I'm going to seal you in the body of Christ. And that seal is good until I come and call you home to be with me in heaven. That's a pretty good seal. Now, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You could be stupid. That's a spiritual word. You could be stupid and do things that God doesn't like, that grieves him because he's living inside your body, and you could grieve him and make him be like, would you knock that off already? Would you stop looking at that? Would you stop going there? We could grieve him, but he's not leaving. He says, I'm sealed 
unto the day of redemption, unto the day that Jesus Christ calls you home. You say, what does that have to do with baptism? Water baptism is just a temporary picture of the eternal operation God performed on you when you got saved. The same way I'm going to put them down in the water and I'll bring them back up. God puts you into Christ, but he's never taken you back up again. You're sealed unto the day of redemption. There's a difference that that picture gives us. And finally and quickly, go to Matthew chapter 3. I'm trying to just learn you something about some baptism here. Matthew chapter 3. Finally and briefly, thank you for your kind attention. Matthew chapter 3. So, what have we said? Today's water baptism is physical, but our real baptism is spiritual. Today's water baptism is temporal, but our real spiritual baptism is eternal. And finally, today's water baptism is public, but everybody's real baptism was private. It was unseen. It was invisible. See Matthew chapter 3? Go to Matthew chapter 3. Somebody said many years ago, water baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith. That makes sense for me. I I like that. An outward expression of an inward faith. People are coming forward to be baptized today to express outwardly the faith they have already put in Jesus Christ's sacrifice inwardly and privately. And in Matthew chapter 3, here's Jesus Christ's baptism. And in Matthew 3.13, the Bible says... Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Can I tell you, when Jesus Christ walked down to the river that day, nobody could see that he was the Son of God. We draw pictures with halos. He had no halo. We draw pictures with him with like sparrows twittering in his ear. There were no sparrows. You would have passed Jesus at the market and just thought he was another black, bushy-haired Arab from the Middle East because Jesus was Jewish, right? That's what he looked like. You would have passed. The Bible said he had no beauty that we would desire him. There was no form, no comeliness. Until he opened his mouth, then you realize there was something different about him. But he walked up there in the River Jordan. Nobody could see. John had an inkling because he knew that was his cousin. He knew something special about him. But nobody standing there that was getting ready to get baptized could see that he was the Son of God. So John baptizes him. And in verse 16 says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, because he went down into the water, right? Because baptism is immersion. He went up out of the water, uh, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know why Jesus was baptized? He was baptized in that water, to be identified as the Son of God for Israel. That's it. Water baptism did not make him God's Son. Water baptism did not wash any sins away. He had no sins to wash away. That baptism was an opportunity to proclaim in public what was already true in private, that he was the Son of God. 
And listen, nobody getting baptized today is getting baptized to become a son of God or become a child of God. They're getting baptized because they're already a son of God. They're already a child of God. Today is an opportunity to declare in public what already took place in private in their hearts. It's an outward expression of an inward faith. You know why we got to do this thing called baptism? Because nobody can see who's saved today. I left my x-ray glasses at home. I can't see who's saved. I can hear the testimony of your mouth, but I don't know who's saved here today. I don't know who's lost here today. I can't see who believes in their heart today. I can't see I'm trying. I'm really squinting down to like 20, 30 here. I can't see who's already been baptized into the body of Christ. I can't see anybody who's had that spiritual baptism take place the moment they got saved. So we baptize in water to tell everybody, no, 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 this is what happened to me. Go to, go to 1 Peter again. I'm going to turn you to two more stops and then I'm done. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. And then Josh, if you want to get a song ready, I don't know. I might sing one. Who knows? But uh, I don't want to catch you off guard. First Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 21. You know what Peter's here? Peter's here talking about Noah's Ark. I'm not going to get into all that stuff. Noah's Ark, right? Noah's Ark is a picture of salvation, right? Those folks got in the ark. You know what God did when they got in the ark? He sealed the door. And they were protected supernaturally from the judgment of God. And then... Peter says, I want to give you another symbol. I want to give you another picture. He says in verse 21 of chapter 3, the like figure, wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Now, baptism doesn't save us like Noah's Ark doesn't save us. It's a picture of salvation. So he's saying the same way Noah's Ark was a picture, baptism is a picture. And Noah's Ark doesn't save anybody today, just like baptism doesn't save anybody today. They're just pictures, they're figures, they're models, they're templates, they're what the, we call types. He says, the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. See, because baptism doesn't wash anything away, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ resurrected that saves you, but baptism is a chance for you to obey God. It's a chance for you with your good conscience that's now been made clean by the blood of Christ. It's a chance for you to respond to God and publicly declare that, yes, I'm identified with that Savior. I am His and He is mine. I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what this baptism is. Today's baptism is a symbol that we can see to understand truth that we can't see. You know, did you notice... When Jesus Christ began his public ministry, the first step he took was to be baptized in water publicly for all to see. That was the first thing he did. He didn't do any miracles yet. He didn't raise anybody from the dead yet. He didn't turn any water into anything else yet. The first thing Jesus Christ did was be baptized in water publicly to declare for all to see, I am the Son of God. And as these folks, we got five or six of them here today, as these folks follow the Lord in baptism, their first step of obedience is to be baptized publicly in water, right? To let the world know, yes, 
I am saved. Yes, I've been born again. Yes, I have been put into Christ and raised to new life by the power of his grace and his Holy Spirit. It's just a picture. Why? All that happened in the heart. You see, there can't be an outward expression if you have no inward faith. If somebody's not saved here today, I could put you down. I could hold you down until the bubble start. It's not going to do anything. Right? It's just going to get you wet and maybe oxygen deprived for a little while. There's got to be first an inward faith that that baptism is an outward expression of. And before all these believers who are getting baptized today go public, you know what they all did? They made a private decision to trust Jesus Christ. And that private decision happened in the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. They believed in their heart that Jesus Christ was good enough to save their soul and God gave them eternal life. And now they want to let other people know I'm saved. You know why we got to do that baptism and have that picture? Because nobody can see your heart. But God can see your heart. So I just wonder today, call me crazy, but I wonder if God, when he looks out over this auditorium and looks past what everybody can see, past the makeup, past the face, past all the things you have, past, you know, the whatever it is, who you are, God sees all past that. You know what the Bible says God looks at? The Bible says the Lord looketh on the heart in that private place, what's called that secret place in the inward parts. You know what God's looking for? He's not looking for baptism. He's looking for saving faith in his son, Jesus Christ. I wonder if God looked at you today, he looks past your faith. He looks past, I mean, your face. He looks past your denomination. He looks past your background. He looks past your bank account. He looks past your past. He looks past everything. He's looking for one thing. He's looking for faith. And what Jesus Christ did on that cross. I wonder, does he see that in you today? Whether you got baptized or getting baptized or never been baptized. Does he see saving faith in you today? Or does he see pride? I'm good enough. That's for you weak preachers, right? Does he see obstinance? No, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not giving up my life for Jesus Christ. Nobody said give up your life. I just said give up your sin to Jesus Christ. What does he see when he looks at you? Does he see doubt? Does he see unbelief? Or does he see the one thing he wants to see in your heart? Faith in what his son did to save you. Listen, to get saved, you don't have to go before anybody today. You don't have to go public today to be saved. You can right now go to God in private and make things right with God in private in your heart between you and God. You can say, Lord, I heard that loudmouth Italian and he was a bit crazy, but the things he said, I see in your word, make sense. You died to do what I could never do, atone for my sin. I want to take you as my savior. That's a conversation you can have with God right now in the private solitude of your thoughts. God can hear and God could see your thoughts. He could see your heart. He desires truth in the inward parts. Will you go to God in private? Maybe there's somebody today says, I'd like to talk to you about that. We'd be happy to spend five minutes in a corner somewhere, off by ourselves somewhere, and give you the time you need to get your questions answered so you would know how to have eternal life. Not join the church, not turn over a new leaf, but make your sins be forgiven and washed in the blood. That's what happens. That's what has to happen. It has to happen in private before you go public. But can I give you the flip side? If you reject Jesus Christ in your heart, in this life, you'll be cast into a lake of fire for all to see in the next life. There'll be no hiding in that day. 
When the books are open and your name doesn't appear, the Bible says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I, gotta give you the, I gave you the honey, but I got to give you the vinegar too. Because both are true, the carrot and the stick. So right now, you're, God's trying to deal in your heart. If you accept him, what a blessing. If you reject him and this life ends and you've still rejected his sacrifice, one day it's going to be known in front of everybody. You'll go public. Do you understand? Do you, pardon the pun, do you get the picture? My dad died 14 and a half years ago. When I want to see my dad, I look at a picture and it reminds me of the real person. When I'm putting something together for my house or wiring something that I don't want to have to call Mike Colleen to help me with, you know, when I'm looking at something, I look at a diagram and those instructions to help me understand what is that building thing that I'm supposed to be building look like. A picture is not the real thing, right? I got a picture of my kids on my phone. These are not my kids. They're just pictures of them, right? A picture is not the real thing. It's only a representation of the real thing. Like a picture of my dad is not my dad. Like an illustration in instructions is not the real thing. It's just an illustration in a set of instructions. But God's picture is worth a thousand words. You know why? God's picture of water baptism is worth that thousand words because it reminds us and instructs us about what that real thing is. It helps point us to the real thing, but it's not the real thing. Now go to Acts chapter 16. We're going to read this verse and then we're going to stand and pray. And Josh, if you've got a song, maybe you and the musicians come ahead. Acts chapter 16. You know what's so great about baptism? Is that baptism reminds us that you must be born again. That nobody, nobody getting baptized today is getting baptized without first putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They did that first. Baptism reminds me of that. Before you get baptized, you better make sure, I got to make sure you believe. I, I ask your question, you trust in Christ? Amen. And Acts chapter 16 is a great illustration of that you need to believe before you get baptized. We're going to read this and then we're going to pray. Acts chapter 16, verse 29. He's talking about a, a jailer, the Philippian jailer. And he's got Paul and Silas in jail. And one day the jailhouse starts a rocking and this guy gets nervous. He's never seen anything like this before. And he sees Paul and he's heard Paul preach and he's heard Paul and Silas sing and praise God. In Acts 16, 29, it says that this jailer, whose name is nameless because it could be anybody, then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Great question, jailer. Great question. Maybe you're wondering, what must I do to be saved? And God wants to get us saved so badly, he answers it so plainly. Here is the prerequisite. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. You want to be saved? Believe not just in him, but believe on him. You see, I can believe in a chair and say that chair is real and that chair looks strong and I see all these other people sitting in that chair. I believe in that chair, but God says don't just believe in the chair. Don't just believe in Christ, that he existed, that he died. He says believe on him. If you want the benefits of that chair, you've got to sit and put your weight on that chair to hold you up. 
And if you believe that Jesus Christ is strong enough to save your soul and good enough to be your savior, and you believe in him, God says, and you want to be saved? You want to enjoy the benefits? Believe on him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And look what happens. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized. He had to believe before he was baptized. And you've got to believe before you get baptized. You've got to believe before any benefit of God like salvation comes your way. So as we go to prayer today, are you saved? Do you believe? Don't spoil God's picture. Get saved today. Let's, let's stand for prayer. Let's, uh,